Well, let's go ahead and turn back to that text, Psalm 23. Um, let's hear it one more time. And I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, at home, here in the room, however you're reading it. doesn't matter if it's electronic or physical print. It's God's word. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the, valley, the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our second week of going over the 23rd Psalm. We're looking at verses 2 and 3 this week, which we heard nicely illustrated here in the children's messages, separated into four simple parts. Um, of course, some of them are connected with one another. Um, as we consider that, the point we made last week is the point we're going to make this week about the 23rd Psalm, which is simply uh, that the shepherd offers his care if we live under his authority. It's that simple. That doesn't mean God doesn't care if we haven't chosen uh, our Savior Jesus Christ and living under his authority. What it does mean is that we have a different hope, a different trajectory, and God is doing something completely different with us that was intended uh, through that transformation through Jesus Christ when we make him Lord and authority over us. And that won't happen any other way. The care is elevated in a way that it just simply won't be if we don't acknowledge our true Lord and Savior. So the claim that we have to make at the beginning of the text before we go on, we talked about this at length last week, is that the Lord is my shepherd. That has to be the claim from the very beginning. It's a personal claim that the Lord is my shepherd and my shepherd is close. And my shepherd is personal. That's, that, that language is very clear in the text. Uh, interestingly, that's not always the case for people, how they view God, how other religious systems view God, all of that. Um, and as just an example, just for a contrast, uh, Abdu Murray, who's an apologist with Ravi Zacharias Ministries in his book, Grand Central Question, he himself was Muslim for most of his life and then uh, became a Christian later in life and wrote this book. Among, he's got another one out now. Um, and a couple others, actually, but, but he's talking about Islam here, and this is a, a good way to contrast how important it is to make this claim of my shepherd here. He says, God's greatness forms the way Muslims can, or more accurately cannot, relate to God. Islam, Islamic classical theology holds that God is so great that it is impossible for the human heart and mind to grasp anything about him beyond the superficial. This makes it impossible to have a relationship with him. Although God is personal in that he is conscious and expresses a will, no one can know his personality to any meaningful degree. We can only catch imperfect glimpses of God's character through the commands he gives in the Quran. In that way, we can know about God, but in no real sense can we know God. Indeed, I'd find, I think you'd find if you study a lot of other religious systems in the world, you'd find that. Whatever idea they have of God, whether true or false, God is distant, not really knowable. 
That's not so with the one true God. And uh, David here says that. The Lord is my shepherd. I can know him and he can know me. God is knowable. God is not, he doesn't say the Lord is some distant benefactor that created me and I can't know him and then he backed away. No, the Lord is my close, caring, knowable shepherd. That's a remarkable truth, isn't it? That we have to claim before the rest of the text has any relevance to us whatsoever. But in, the, in verses 2 and 3 today, as we focus on those and, and claim the Lord as my shepherd, one of the key things that we have to see in that is the paths of righteousness, or right paths, however your translation has it, that we are to walk behind the shepherd, but we, are, uh, we discover from the rest of the text of Scripture that we're to become like the shepherd, actually, when we speak of the good shepherd, Jesus. And let's turn to him for a moment, if we would. Let's go to the New Testament for just a moment and consider Luke 15. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but Luke 15, 5 is a great passage if you are turning there. But the, here in Luke 15, again, we're going to have a contrast. Jesus tells three parables, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, right, in a row. And the lost sheep uh, is one that's remarkable in that he talks about if the shepherd loses the one sheep, isn't he going to leave the 99 to go get the one? And Luke 15, 5 has this image of the shepherd bringing back the sheep on his shoulders. Imagine Jesus doing that with any one of us to bring us back. It's a remarkable image. And in our culture, we love rags to riches kind of stories, don't we? I mean, they're compelling. People coming from nothing and becoming something in life. Coming from, going through adversity to, to make it through. And, and it's really compelling stuff. We love that. We watch documentaries on it, read books on it. We, we love that. Movies, feature movies are made on it. I like it. I'm guessing you probably like it too. They're compelling stories. But what we don't like, and I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, is we don't like or we get bored with goody-two-shoes testimonies in our culture. Someone who did the right things and didn't really start with great adversity. They were set on uh, a trajectory and they kept on that trajectory and it was a good trajectory. You might call that right paths. Right? Sometimes we get a little bored with what, Jesus, with what David is talking about in Psalm 23. He leads me down paths of righteousness or right paths. And what we see in Luke 15, which is absolutely true, is a story of the wayward sheep who's brought back a little bit more of a rags to riches. And that's very compelling to us. But the whole idea of Psalm 23, so I'm not discounting what Jesus says there. I'm saying that's, that's actually probably our story, uh, quite honestly, is Luke 15. But what David is saying there is the ideal is actually to be the faithful sheep. The ideal is actually to walk those right paths with the shepherd, not to be the lost sheep who's rescued or needs to get rescued, but to walk those right paths with our shepherd. I, I can quite guarantee that we can find both stories in the room and probably both stories in my life and your life where we've had to be brought back and we've walked the right paths. The ideal is to walk right paths, not to have to be rescued in the first place. So if we turn back to the text, to Psalm 23, and we see these four parts in turn. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If we focus on sort of the action that's going on in each one of these, we we can kind of see what's going on. He makes me, first of all, he makes me. If we've committed to the Lord as our authority, then we're going to do what he asks us to do. He's not requesting that we do it. He makes us lie down in green pastures if we are his sheep. 
And there are two actions that are happening here then. He's making us rest in those green pastures. And let me just say this, my fellow Americans, we're both amazing at rest and rotten at it at the same time. Have you ever noticed this? I mean, we're, we have perfected, I think, the recliner over the years. We're really good at resting and lounging, and that's a, that's a positive thing. We have perfected, I think, how to watch sports in the most spectator fashion uh, with the very seat cushions and things that we've created. We invented baseball. I think that tells you a lot, which is a wonderful sport, but it's the most leisurely, no-time-clock sport out there. Maybe there are others. I suppose cricket could be in there, but uh, baseball is much more interesting, right? Uh, we work for the weekend. That's what the song tells us. We like our leisure time. And yet at the same time as a culture, we're the people who don't take our, all of our allotted vacation time at all. We're, we're workaholics. We work hard. And I'm all for a high work ethic as long as it's a healthy work ethic. Right? And so we, we're really good on both ends. We're good at lounging when the time comes, but we're also not always good at taking the lounge time when we're given that opportunity. But it's not just about rest that's here. If you combine what's being said here with the paths of righteousness, there's a rhythm to rest that's here. When I uh, worked about 20 years ago with college students at a Bible college in Colorado, um, I, was, I would go hiking uh, either by myself or with the students. I'd be up in the mountains uh, two, three times a week sometimes, often with students taking them on a hike. In fact, I love hiking, so if anybody even said right now, let's go hiking, we could drop this and go right now. It's one of my favorite things to do. I really wouldn't do that. This is actually one of my favorite things to do too. But uh, what I discovered early on, especially when you're walking with uh, other people on a hike, um, I go pretty fast, I set the pace, and then when you take breaks, if you're going up a mountain, don't take long breaks. Five minutes or less, that's all you need. Anything over five minutes, you lose momentum especially as a group. You're done. It's hard to get going again. No, you take short breaks, get the water in, just enough to rest your legs, go on. There's a rhythm that's here when we follow the shepherd. It's not go to the green pasture and simply rest. It's we're walking the paths of righteousness, and then he's going to make us stop and rest and get the nourishment when we need to, and we're going to keep on the right paths. There's also, though, not just the rest that's here, but if you notice, what do sheep do when they get, why do they move around with the shepherd so much? They move around because they're looking for grass. They're looking for food all the time. These are green pastures, not sparse pastures. So he makes me lie down where there's abundance. Where there's all that I need is right there. And in fact, that's what the good shepherd, who this would all be pointing towards Jesus, says himself that he will do for us. In John 10.10, he says famously, as he's talking about being the good shepherd, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Green pastures. That that's where they would lie down. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. It means he makes me experience abundance, his abundance. And his abundance is found in rhythms that recognize and acknowledge the right paths that we are to walk. Second, he leads me beside quiet waters. Literally, it's waters of rest, so it's still a restful moment. There's a connection here between the green pastures and the waters. And if I may point out, again, about the culture around us, uh, we get sermons preached at us all week and messages delivered to us all week 
uh, from anything from commercials to friends to coworkers to whatever that tell us that many things will satisfy us in this life. But they're temporary. And then when we give into those things, we actually experience mission drift in our life. And at, at its most basic and simple sense, when we think of the temporary things that we're, we're told will satisfy us, we know, for instance, that we ate breakfast, we're going to be hungry later today. It's temporary. There are an awful lot of things in life that seem more permanent, but they're really temporary. We're going to want it again later, we're going to have to go back and get it again later, whatever it is. But the problem is, the more we give into those as more than temporary, as, as beyond what the, the simple satisfaction they give for a short time, we experience that mission drift, and you and I, brothers, sisters, and friends, we were designed to worship God. That's what we were designed to do first and foremost. And the mission drift that we experience is that we start to make those temporary things gods in our lives. I'm pretty good at making things idols, and I'm quite certain all of you are too if you stop and think about it. We can easily worship. We're always going to worship something. We're designed to worship God, and sometimes we don't worship God. We worship those temporary things around us. And why would we do that? Why would we invest our time and our energy in such praise to things that don't deserve it? I would suggest one of the many reasons is that we don't often pause enough and we don't and we get distracted by the noise around us in our culture and so we lose focus and we drift. He leads me besides quiet waters so we're actually going to be with the shepherd in communion with the shepherd. Not simply in the abundance, but the refreshment of the water and the company of the shepherd there. And, and we won't be quiet sometimes because quiet is scary. When I, again, when I was working with students about 20 years ago, uh, one of the professors challenged them uh, one day at the beginning of Lent to try and go just once they got out of class that afternoon to go without music for the rest of the day and noise. They nearly killed each other. Uh, there's a sort of vigilante justice going on to get people to shut off their stereos and things in the dorm. It was kind of crazy and it was a little tense because they always have noise. There's always something going on in our lives everywhere for all of us. It's always noisy. But we find it difficult to be quiet partially because of that. We find it difficult to be quiet, though, because when we're quiet, we've got to think. We've got to reflect. We've got to reconcile conflicting thoughts and emotions and most importantly, if we actually are quiet with the shepherd, we have to be transparent and open. And all of a sudden, uh, the God who knows us from the inside out, he already knows, but it's kind of scary for us to open ourselves up that much to him and let him delve in. We also find it difficult to be quiet, as I said, because we live in a loud world and it seems sometimes like we can't shut it off. Right? There are all kinds of things from sirens to planes to music everywhere you go to traffic, TV, phones, texts, other notifications on your phone that then go to your wrist or go to your computer or go everywhere and it's almost impossible to shut them off unless you shut off the phone. And kids and adults, all of them distract us. Our own minds even distract us sometimes and even our own hearts are always rattling around the things going on. It seems hard to be quiet and almost impossible. And then we come up with excuses as to why we don't need to be quiet for whatever reason or why we can't be quiet because of the, our, it won't fit into our calendar. We don't have the desire. We're distracted by other things anyways. We're too tired. You can just start writing down the list and we won't just be quiet with God. 
but God has a way to reach in, and God, we can be quiet with God even if the world doesn't shut off if we'll simply walk those paths of righteousness and follow the shepherd. Let me give you an example of how uh, I, sometimes even when there's noisiness, it can be quiet. When I lived in Chicago years ago, uh, in the, at that time, dorm room I was in, you could see, you know, out the window, third floor, five planes usually were lined up uh, at all times, especially at night, coming off Lake Michigan to land at O'Hare Airport. You know, one lands, you've got another one that comes in behind. You could always see five planes. Sirens going on in the city, you just tune them out after about a week. Uh, there's traffic all around. There's all kinds of random things that go on. Police helicopter might go over, whatever. But what was so fascinating to me is that you could be in the middle of rush hour with all that hubbub and everything like that, and if it started snowing with any degree of, like, collection, that's quiet. All that noise is quieted down by the snow, and that can happen in our own lives if we'll simply follow the shepherd. There can be noise all around us, but if we can find it to quiet our soul before the Lord, even when there's chaos around us, we can find that quiet if we'll follow the shepherd. And if we live under the shepherd's authority, he does not simply suggest he's going to take us to those quiet waters, you see. He leads us to them if we live under his authority. So he leadeth me beside quiet waters. He leads me to the most restful place where we can experience his presence. Now the next part of the passage is connected though because what's he doing in that restful place? Once we've gotten to the green pastures, once we've hit the restful place, what is he actually doing? He refreshes, some of you have restores. That's fine, either one works. He refreshes my soul. That's what he's doing in that place. Soul meaning all of me, basically. The whole, the, the life of who I am and everything that makes up Evan or you or whatever. All of me. He refreshes that. That, and, and if we take this back to the beginning, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, David said. When he said, I lack nothing, our Western minds move to stuff when we hear that. That God's going to give us stuff. But this isn't health and wealth gospel stuff that's being preached at here. This is value. This is meaning. This is purpose. This is humanity, who we're supposed to be. This isn't a bunch of stuff. I lack nothing. I lack the fundamentals of who I'm supposed to be is what it is. And I've got the air to breathe that God gave me freely. I was at a funeral a couple years ago, not someone from this congregation, and I wasn't doing it, so I'll just clarify that. Um, but I was at a funeral a few years ago, and, and I, the custom at funerals far too often can be to uh, highlight only the virtues of a person and diminish any, any issues that they would have had in their life, because we want to remember them well at the end. And, and what was interesting, though, is they did a little twist at this one. There weren't actually a lot of virtues to highlight, so they just took the vices and made those virtuous in the person, and kind of laughed those off. I, it was remarkable, and, you know, if I wasn't a little bit thrown off by it, it was artfully done, I'll simply say that. Um, but we do ourselves no favors when we do that. When we simply diminish the vices in our lives and simply try and make them virtuous or turn them around. If we think back to Jesus and that hundred sheep that wanders away, that hundred sheep that wanders away is wounded by the journey quite often. That hundred sheep that, that wanders away needs to be carried back because it's in danger. That's the problem. And David, it's interesting, at this point in the psalm, he, in the first four verses, he's a sheep. 
Lord is my shepherd. So he's a sheep. But in this one verse, he wouldn't be a sheep. You can contest me with that if you want later. But David breaks character. He restores my soul. He's speaking as David again. And the more we've wandered away, the more wounds we've experienced. The more we've wandered away and experienced those wounds, the less human we feel. The more we've wandered away, the less purpose-driven, the less hopeful we are, the less meaning we feel about who we're supposed to be and who we are, and the less value we feel. The more of those wounds we have from wandering away. But the shepherd leads us to the water that refreshes. He leads us to the fields of abundance. And that's where healing occurs with the shepherd. So he refreshes my soul. What is he doing? He makes me human again. That's what he does. And then David says, he guides me in paths of righteousness or right paths for his name's sake. You know, I've discovered in having kids that, uh, and any parent has seen this, that sometimes they do things and you're like, I didn't teach them that. They might have gotten it from me, I suppose, but I didn't teach them that. And I'm sure it happened with me, with my parents, and um, it, it happens with every kid, right? And every parent relationship. But, but I'll point out that even when we didn't teach them that, and even when there's a black sheep in the family who does something that seems completely contrary to the family, that, that seems like it's uh, not right, the family name is always bound to those actions in some way, right? Somebody can do something, and even if it seems like a total aberration or an abnormality from the rest of the way the family looks, there can still be that suspicion that gets in everybody else's mind, like, yeah, I wonder if that family's like that, right? The family name can be tied to the actions even of an individual. Now, God, in creating us, didn't create us because he needed us. God created us because God is creative, God created us because God is caring and generous and loving and, and his generosity works out this way that he wanted to create. He didn't need us. We need him. He doesn't need us. But we were created to be a reflection of God's glory. We should have been family members that pointed back with our actions to the Father. That's how it should work. We're created to worship and to glorify in our attitudes and our actions. And that's why we're supposed to walk these paths of righteousness. Robert Trail, a pastor from a couple centuries ago, says it this way. He says, if a man trusts his own righteousness, he rejects Christ's. If he trusts Christ's righteousness, he rejects his own. You see, wrong actions dishonor the family name, but virtue brings glory. If we follow those paths of righteousness, we're looking towards the Father. We're looking towards the one who created us and exemplifying who we're supposed to be and who he created us to be that glorifies the Father when we do that. Quite fascinatingly, uh, the righteous, you see, they're godly and their actions point to, to God's character and work. And fascinatingly, uh, I, it struck me a few years ago when I was memorizing Psalm 98, um, and it's, it's all throughout Scripture if you start to look for it. Uh, Psalm 98 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. I was really struck by that. Have worked salvation, and, and often our mindset is, he did salvation for me. No, 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 no. That's a byproduct. Salvation was for him, for his glory, because we're supposed to reflect his glory, and when we're brought back into the fold and transformed into the image of Christ to look like that which we were created to be from the first, from the first day, then we reflect his glory in the same family. It's for his glory. 
So he leads me in right paths. Why? For his name's sake. When we follow the shepherd, we glorify God, not ourselves. You see, the shepherd guides us. And the shepherd guides us through a world filled with danger and trouble. We're not going to be spared the trouble simply because we follow the shepherd. We're going to have the shepherd with us as we walk those right paths through that trouble. You see, under the shepherd's authority, we will be cared for in troubling times. Under the shepherd's authority, we are going to be guided to what truly refreshes and restores. Under the shepherd's authority, we will be led to God's best and God's hope, and there is no other path. There's no other path that we can follow. God is glorified when I do right and when you do right and when we follow those right paths and when he is glorified, I flourish. That's the byproduct. And if you claim the Lord as your shepherd, then you're really claiming the good shepherd, Jesus, as your own. When you claim, if you claim the Lord as your shepherd, you may need to be carried back to the fold on Jesus' arms or on Jesus' shoulders. But if you follow those right paths, you're heeding the words of John 10.10, that I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. So the challenge today, can we be smart sheep? Can we follow those right paths and follow the shepherd and be right with him, that our actions and our attitudes would glorify him as we walk those paths? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you lead us. I thank you that you carry us back when we've wandered away. I thank you that we can live under your authority, and I know that that is a supreme challenge to so many of us. But Lord, I pray today that for those of us who are not reflecting the image of you within us, that it feels so broken and so tarnished that your son Jesus Christ would be welcomed in, that we would find ourselves in Christ today and allow your Holy Spirit in us to begin that transformation so that we would reflect your glory and your family name the way we're supposed to, the way we were designed to, that our worship would not go to anything else this day, this week, or the rest of our lives, but to you. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us when we've wandered. I thank you that you carry us back, but help us walk those right paths so we don't wander, so we experience the rhythms of rest and work that you have for us, and that we can flourish, but first and foremost, we can glorify your name as we do so. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.